kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have fun. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. On October 15th, we're having men's meeting after a, mo a month off. <laughs> we're back. Garnet had a great time in Holland, and he is back now. When we're re he's ready to get back into things, and I'm sure he's got some great food and some great course pl planned for you. That's uh, th this Saturday, right, Garnet? This Saturday. Awesome. Well, how's everybody doing? Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you all. Thanks for coming out to church. I hope your bellies aren't already too full of turkey. You know, the thing about turkey is it always makes you sleepy, right? You know, I, I haven't had too much yet this weekend, but I hope to indulge a little more this afternoon. We're going to continue on in our series on the nature and the character of God. And I think we're now like 13, 14 weeks into this, and we still got some more. And I, you know, when I, when I started uh, doing the framework for this message months ago, I, I was thinking, okay, we're, we're going to be done by, you know, the end, end of August. You know, we'll start into a different series in September. And it's like, no, every time I sit down, you're like, okay, God, what do you, you want to do about this section of my framework? And it just goes, because there's just so much that you could talk about the character and the nature of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul was praying for the Ephesians, he says that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He wants you to know about Him. And the thing I like about that verse, it's not just about knowledge of Him, it's His knowledge as well. He, when you begin to know Him and who He is, you begin to understand who you are, and you begin to act different, and you begin to think different, and we begin to have God thoughts instead of our thoughts, and that's a good thing because the Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are better than our ways, and so as we conform ourselves to understand who he is, what he wants to do, what he said about you, it begins to make you walk different and act different when you let that become the foundation of your life. Amen? And so he wants you to know about him. And the thing about God is he's not hiding from you. He wants to be found. He wants to be revealed. He said, seek and you find. Ask and you'll get and you'll receive. Knock and it will be opened unto you because he's not hiding. Actually, he said in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's how easy he is to find. Yeah. I'm already knocking at the door. You know, when, when people say, you know, oh, I found Jesus, he wasn't missing. <laughs> and so over the course of this, this series now, 13, 14 weeks, whatever it's been now, We've talked about some of the high names of God, and we've been talking about some of the redemptive names of God. And that, seeing as Pastor Wendy did such a great job last week, it's been two weeks since I, I preached last, uh, let's do a little bit of review. Let's talk about the high names of God. When we're going through the Bible, we often just see them as God. But there's not always the same word behind what we see in the English. English is such a, such a, a, a one-dimensional language between the, but, but, um, when compared to the Hebrew and the Greek. There's so much more depth to them. And so when we hear God, the generic word for God that's used in the Bible is the word Elohim. He is the great God, the creator. 
And Elohim exists in a plural form, which is fine because it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but that's not where the plural root comes for the word Elohim. This word, we have to understand that the nation of Israel didn't grow up in a bubble. They came out of the Canaanite-type background of their ancestry, and so a lot of their language finds roots in Canaanite. And so when the Canaanites in their pantheon of gods, they had different levels of God. And so in their top tier of gods, their greatest of gods existed in the level of the Elohim. And there was a bunch of them. And so as language and etymology of words begins to develop, the nation of Israel just borrowed those already common under, commonly understood words. So that when they said God, everyone kind of knew what they were talking about. He's great. He's the creator. He's awesome in power. He's breathless in scope of how far he is. And so we don't have to be concerned that it came from that background. We, we do it all the time with English words where over time the meaning begins to shift and to change. And if you want to know someone who's really guilty of this in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. He took the Greek and it'd be like he'd take a word and he'd give it a new meaning and you see the meaning based upon the context of how he uses it. And he would also take two different Greek words and he would smash them together and create a new word. And so it's like it, it, words change and have different meaning over time. And so when, it, when you look at the Bible, most of the time when you see the word God, it's the word Elohim. He is the great God. He is the creator. One that we're not going to spend much time on in this series is he is also El Elyon. That's one of his highest names, and it means God Most High. That's kind of funny. He's one of his highest names is that he is the Most High. And the interesting thing to note about Elyon is that it finds its roots in the word to rise or to ascend. And everything about God, when you hitch your life to him, he always rises to the top. He always rises above. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, God is higher. So go ahead and lift up your eyes unto the mountains from where your help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. And so he will always rise above whatever's going on. And you know, when, when Lucifer rebelled against God, this is the name in which he rebelled against. What did Lucifer say? He said, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. He was coming directly against this word, El Elyon. He was saying, I can be greater, I can be higher, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He was wrong, and he's still wrong today. And so El Elyon, when we, when we see that reflected, everything about the situation that El Elyon is involved in rises above everything else going on. Hitch yourself to the right wagon. Come on. Get, get connected to someone who's going some places. We took a week and we talked about one of his names of El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient and self-sufficient Lord. He is the almighty God. And in that reflection of it, it's not that he has might and power. He is what might and power gets measured against. He contains all of it. There's nothing greater or more powerful 
than him. He is El Shaddai, and it's often interpreted as the God who is more than enough because he doesn't know how to do things and just, oh, you need one thing? Here you go, one thing. No, when Abraham needed a son, El Shaddai said, I'll give you nations. He is able to sustain and support more than just one thing at a time. He can look across all of his sons and daughters around the world and look for you, sustain you, increase you, and bless you. He is not limited for what he did for one. He said he'll do for another because he is not a respecter of persons. He is El Shaddai. And then we come across Jehovah. He is Jehovah. He is Lord. He is the I am. And this is his covenant name. This, this is his highest name. He always looks at, if you, got, if you want to see God at his pinnacle, Jehovah covers everything. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see Jehovah attached to other characteristics that describe the qualities and the characteristics of God. And those are what we call the redemptive names of God. Come on, I know this is review, but we all need to get on the same page before we can move forward today. And so we've already gone through that he is Jehovah Jireh, as revealed by Abraham. He is the God that is provision. Well, what does he provide? Whatever is needed. And we said it's such a travesty that everybody makes this all about money. That's so one-dimensional. What do you need? He's the provision of it. In the Bible, people needed healing. He became the provision of that. There was times where they needed food. He was the provision of that. There was times where they needed tax money, and Jesus told Peter, go fishing and find some gold in its mouth. He was the provision of even the simple things. And so we can't limit God to money, 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 money in this name. It's whatever you need. Do you need peace in your life? He's a provider of peace. Do you need a little bit of comfort in your heart and your mind today? He is the provider of those things. And so he's Jehovah Jireh. We looked at him being Jehovah Shammah. He is the God who's present. As we've already said, you don't have to go looking for him. He's already there. He's everywhere all the time. On your worst day and your best day, he's right there. He's already here with you. And so like in our churches, we're like, oh, God, please come. He's already there. If you walked in the door, he came in with you, even if you were by yourself. He's always present. We briefly looked at Gideon, where he called God his Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord my peace. And the interesting thing is Gideon first needed to discover the God of peace before he could bring peace to the nation of Israel. That's what they needed, and so God revealed himself as peace to, to Gideon so that he could then lead the nation of Israel out. And he didn't do it with some, some uh, large army. He kept cutting Gideon's army down until there was only 300 left against a great host, and they still won because the God of peace doesn't look at the numbers. He brings what is needed to the situation. Hallelujah. And we took three weeks and we looked at him being Jehovah-Rohi or Jehovah-Raha, the Lord my shepherd, as revealed by the shepherd king, King David. And he reveals God as our leader, the one who guides us, the one who protects us, the one who brings comfort to our hearts, gets us to where we need to be, where there's still waters and green pastures. And as we follow him, he brings us through the rough times and we don't set up camp in the rough places he says yes though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i won't fear any evil because my god is with me 
And so he is our Jehovah, our shepherd. And last week, looking out, or two weeks ago, looking through that nature of the shepherd, we came across Psalm chapter 23, verse 3, and we're going to start picking up here today, that he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. One of the places the shepherd leads you is into right standing with Almighty God. And that's where we find his revealed name, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Not that God is righteous, though he is. That's not what this word means. It's the Lord is our righteousness. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. Its simple definition is the state of him who is as he ought to be. When you stepped into Jesus, he put you in the state of being as you ought to be. And the sad thing about so much of religion is there's a striving mentality trying to measure up to be good enough for God. And this has been passed along to the world so that when you're out there preaching Jesus, people say, well, I could never go to church. I've done too many bad things in my life. Well, you're trying to measure up. Last time I checked, you don't need to have a bath before you have a bath. And people are saying, I've got to scrub this dirt off myself before I can get washed in the blood. No, the blood was enough. It brings you into right standing with him. And so it's no longer based upon what you've done or what you can do. He brings you into right standing with himself, and he has become your righteousness. Not your, you don't have, need your own righteousness. Paul said, my righteousness is as filthy rags. His righteousness is what you need, and it's a gift that he freely gives in Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? And so Paul said that the problem with the nation of Israel is that they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they were seeking to establish their own righteousness and they have not submitted or yielded and presented themselves to the righteousness of God. And he said, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness is to everyone who believes. And so when it comes to our relationship with God and the thing that Jehovah Sidkenu reveals is that we don't have to do the work. He's already done it. We get to step into his rest. We get to step into what he finished. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And if he said it was done, we should stop trying to complete it. I love what David Horton said a lot of years ago. He said, what a lot of Christians like to do is the equivalent of walking up to this masterpiece of a painting and pulling out their crayons and trying to add to it. You can't add to the work of Jesus. He was enough. And the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 9 says, There remains a rest for the people of God. Your position that you operate out of is a place of rest. Resting in God. You know, we haven't sung that song in a while, but Jess, I love that song. I just want to lean back on his chest. 
and breathe deep. We operate out of a place of rest. And the next verse says, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Come on. Jesus said it was done, and the writer of Hebrews saying, as a Christian, we need to cease from our works as well. And these are works that try to make us measure up. The next verse says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And what was that example of disobedience he was talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel. You know, the writer of Hebrew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he's saying, come on, guys, you got to give up the law and step into Christ. And wasn't that the struggle of Paul's ministry as he would go forward into all these new cities and he's preaching the gospel of grace and the good news of Jesus? People were following behind saying, that's great. Yes, that's good. But you also got to keep the law and you also got to get circumcised and you got to keep all the feasts and you got to do this. And there's a yeah, but mentality in, the re in religion today. You need to get rid of the buts and say, Christ alone cornerstone my solid rock he was enough for me we're getting to where we're going because there's another high name of god i want to cover today but whenever we talk about these aspects of righteousness and stop trying to measure up we eventually come to the question that people are asking within themselves so you're saying pastor jordan i can do whatever i want to and the answer is a resounding, yes, yes, you can, and no, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> and the thing about grace and the righteousness of God, it frees you up to do what you want to, but what you want to do might not be a good thing. And so we have to present our lives before God and be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we don't do all the old things because that's not how we get to live anymore. He's made a better way and he leads us in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so whenever we preach grace, we inevitably end up people start doing things that, you know, they probably shouldn't. And they're like, oh, you've just empowered them to sin. No, I empowered them to do what they really wanted to do. And they stopped hiding behind religion. Come on. God wants to transform your heart, not just cover over aspects. He wants to change your want to. And so Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, For you, brethren, have been called into liberty or into freedom, only don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying if we could stop that we've been called into freedom and it doesn't have to be a license to do whatever you want, love is the highest way that we should be following. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And we live in, a, in such a, 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 a society today where everyone is fighting everyone and everybody's mad about someone. And this is so true in this verse. It says, if you want to fight, you'll get devoured. What did Jesus say? If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And he's giving us a higher way that we can choose to love one another and serve one another. The next verse says that I say then, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
Come on. When we're following after God, we don't have to worry about getting out of line. Because when you're with him and watching him and doing what he's doing and imitating him just like a child does their father, you end up doing what the father does. And I end up walking in those paths of righteousness, not because I've tried, just because I was with God. Come on, let's turn over to Romans chapter 6 this morning. There's still another high name of God that I want to get to. And we're working our way to it. But in Romans chapter 6, and and we're going to start in verse 11, and we could take the whole chapter, but we just don't have time. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says, you, you get to choose. You get to reckon. You get to make that choice that I can be dead to sin and alive to God. When given the two options, I want to focus on being alive to God. And he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. But verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of as righteousness to God. You get to choose what you present yourself before. What does the word present mean? It's the word peristemi, which means to stand beside or near, to be at hand, and to be present. You get to choose what you live in proximity to. Everyone's probably heard the saying before, if you play along the bank of the river, you're going to slide right in. Right? Come on. Come on. I know this is not always a fun topic when we talk about it, but if you play by the river, you end up falling in. What you choose to be in proximity to will be present in your life. As Jess was already saying, Annie was thankful that she gets to go to school. In this nation, we have the freedom that you get to go to school, but you got to show up. And what do they do when they're taking that attendance? They call out your name, and they're like, present, I'm here. And what happens when you're present? You learn, and you grow. And when you present yourself before God, you learn, and you grow. You make yourself available. You get to see the one you're supposed to be imitating. And so he goes on in the next verse. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Certainly not. He's saying, don't continue. But he says, do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were, everyone say were, were. which meaning it's not the state you are now. Though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves unto righteousness. Hallelujah. 
He's saying you were slaves of sin, and now you've been tied to something greater. And so this morning, I want to focus on a high name of God, and that is Adonai. He is my Lord. He is my master. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And here Paul is revealing that the work of Jesus and the blood of Jesus paid a payment that you no longer belong to the devil. You no longer belong to this world, but you belong to him. You are his property. Come on, and we often focus on him being our father, and he is, but you are, he is also the one who has bought you. And so there's a concept that is revealed in the book of Exodus that I want to present to you this morning. And in Exodus chapter 21, it says this in verse 1. Now these are the judgments which I shall set before them. Verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And on the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. And so it's presenting here that there was this concept under the, the law in the past that if you couldn't support yourself, you could sell yourself for six years. But on the seventh year, they had to let you go free and you don't have to pay anything back. Now, this was a, a great concept on paper, but it was not a concept that they ever liked to follow. Because once somebody has entered into servitude, an evil master will always say, I'm never letting you go. You're here and you're stuck here. But we don't serve an evil master. We serve a good master. We serve a good God. And it says on the seventh year, you get to go out free and pay nothing. And verse 3 says, if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. And if he comes in married, then his wife and shall go out with him. But verse 5 says, but... If the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, and I love my children, I will not go out free. This is the free choice of the one who's been in the house. It's not a forced thing by the master. You'll never get to leave. You have to stay here and do whatever I tell you to do. This is a free choice by the one who's already been set free. And he says, I love my master, and I don't want to be free. I don't want to go out. I want to stay right where I am. And in verse 6 says, then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him forever. You notice where he brought him to? He brought him to the door. He brought him to the doorpost. What did we read about the good shepherd? That he doesn't force his way into your life. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't have to coerce you. He enters by the door, and the doorkeeper opens to him. This is a choice that you get to make. He sets you free. You get to choose to serve. 
And that's the, that's the mark of a great master. People talk about power as being someone who can force others and bend them to his will. You know what a great master is? I don't have to be forced to bow my knee. God, I choose to bow my knee to you. I choose to you as my master. I choose you as my Lord because I know life with you is better than any life I could ever achieve on my own. And you know what? When all creation is face to face with Jesus on the last day, you know what they do? It says every knee shall bow. When faced with the glory and the goodness of the master, everyone goes, yes, this is a good decision. And you can either make that decision now or have to do it later. I choose to be a servant of the master now. And so this concept that is presented here in Exodus chapter 21 is that of a bondservant, not of a slave, someone who serves the house by their choice. And Jesus, when he came, he came out of the desert, filled with the Holy Spirit, after being tempted by the devil for 40 days, and he came out and he picks up where Isaiah says, and this is in Luke chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free or at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord do you know what year he was proclaiming the year of jubilee all the slaves go free everyone who steps into Jesus has been declared righteous. That's a gift to you, but not everyone chooses him as their master. When he's your master, you say, Lord, I'm yours to command. What would you have me to do? Where would you have me to be? What would you have me to say? I am yours to command because I know that one word out of your mouth and one direction from you is better than a thousand choices I could ever make on my own. And so he is Adonai. Now, the reason why I've waited later in this series to do Adonai is because Adonai is not something God calls himself. It's what his servants call him. He doesn't force to become the master. We present ourselves to him. And it's also plural possessive when you see it in the Hebrew. It's plural possessive, meaning this covers the Father, this covers the Son, and this is covers the Holy Spirit, and it's possessive in that he now becomes my God. Come on, we got to get that out of our vocabulary when we talk as Christians. He's not God, he's my God. He's not Jesus, he's my Jesus. He's not just Lord, he's my Lord. That's possessive. I choose that I am his property and I've yielded myself to him and I am his possession forevermore by my choice. 
God, lead me where you would have us to go. And you say, well, why would I ever want that? Unlike Romans 14.4, it says, Who are you who judges another's servant? To his own master he stands or he falls. And indeed he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I would rather have a master who can keep me on my feet than be out on my own and get knocked down a thousand times and not even make it a mile. I'd rather go with God who's able to make me stand and nobody else can judge you for it because he are not theirs, you're his. Hallelujah. And so Paul says in Galatians 5, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which Christ has made us free and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled to sin. Jesus says to this, though, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Okay. We have to see Adonai in the Bible at work. And the first time we are introduced with Adonai is in Genesis chapter 15 by Abram. Now, you got to think about this. Abraham, he knows Elohim. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It was Abraham who declared him as Jehovah Jireh. It was also Abraham who recognized him as El Shaddai. And he's also the first one to recognize him as Adonai because God can't help but reveal his nature, reveal his character. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after a great battle in which Abraham goes out with just 118 servants in his house, and when it says servants, we're not talking about slaves, they were bond servants. These were 118 people who chose Abram to be their leader, to be their master, to be their Lord. These are bond servants, people who had been set free and said, no, I'd rather be with you, Abraham. And so we see that concept is already at work. He goes out to war against five kings and he beats them and wins back his nephew Lot and all the stuff that had been taken. And he comes back before God. And in verse one, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Jehovah Adonai, what will you give me seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer in Damascus. This is kind of interesting. This is the servant talking to the master. And he says, you are my master. You are my Lord. I am yours to command, but what will you give me? This is like, this is, okay. No, usually it's the master saying, here's what you get, and here's what you take. When you enter into the relationship with Adonai, the master, it's a different type of servanthood. It's a different type of relationship. And so Abraham, even though he acknowledges him as his master, and I am bound to you, he was not afraid to go ahead and ask his master questions. And Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring, and indeed the one born in my house is, not, is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
He's going ahead because I'm your master, and I'm going to take care of you, Abram. And that guy you think is your heir, that's not going to be the one. And he brought him outside, and he said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Come on, and we are blessed with faithful Abraham, and the way he believed under righteousness is the way we believe under righteousness. And then he, with that freedom and that liberty in which God had given him, submitted himself unto the Lord as his master. And he wasn't afraid to say, God, what are you going to do? Come on. It wasn't until after Abraham learned God as Adonai did the blessing of El Shaddai begin to operate in his life. And so many Christians are looking for the blessings when they'll be found in the presence of the master. We don't need to seek after those things. They're present with the master. Everywhere he goes, there they are. You don't have to try and be blessed. You already are because of who you've attached yourself to. Hallelujah. And so Abraham was not afraid to talk to God openly, even though he was the servant and God was the master. And God never once said, Abraham, you said too much. Know your place and get back in it. No, that's not the master we serve. You know, the next time we see Adonai show up, God's on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he stops into Abraham's camp, and he says, shall I not reveal to my servant Abraham what I'm going to do? And Abraham said, God, if there's 30 in the city, will you spare it? And he said, yes. God, if there's 20 in the city, will you spare it? Yes. God, if there's 10 in the city, will you spare it? And I fully believe God would have went right down to one. Abraham could have stood in the city. But Abraham stopped. God is not afraid to be questioned. God is not afraid to be negotiated with and talked to. He does not force you. He receives you. And you receive him. Hallelujah. We see that Adonai revealed to Moses when the children of Israel are rebelling against him and God's mad and he's like I should just wipe you these guys out and start again and Abraham says yes Adonai or Moses says yes Adonai I'm your servant and I know they're a stiff-necked people but don't do it and God said you're right Moses I won't and where you go I go to come on we should see this revealed in Jesus then, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is faced with the decision, do I go to the cross or do I not? And what does he say, Lord? Not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to do it, God, but I say yes, because you're the master. Paul knew him as Adonai as well. On the road to Damascus, when the light shone down and he was knocked off of his horse and he got down on the ground and he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord, Master? He said, I don't know who you are, but this day I submit myself under you. And that's the choice we all get to make. We are righteous by the gift of God. I serve because I want to. 
And as I'm with the master, I am transformed from glory to glory. Father, we thank you for this character attribute. Father, we choose to yield our hearts before you right now. We thank you that you are a good master. You are a good Lord. I thank you that you have bought me with a price. I thank you that by your blood, I don't have to do it on my own, but I have been purchased. I am not my own. And so therefore, this day, we submit ourselves unto you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you and believe with you and agree with you and celebrate with you and testify with you. Whatever it is you need, don't leave church without being availing yourself to them if you need something. If you've been watching us online this morning, we just wish you an awesome Thanksgiving weekend and we bless you in the name of Jesus. But don't take another moment. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord, now is the day to submit yourself to Him. Go ahead and present yourself to Him and call on in the name of the Lord, and we would love to do that with you right now. Church, let's pray. Say, Father, I ask for Jesus, and I receive him right now. I thank you that you raised him from the dead, and I call him my Lord right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area or if you're in our area. We say welcome home. We'd love to walk this journey together with you. But guys, we have a good master. We have a good Lord. He doesn't force himself upon us, but he receives all those who submit themselves to him. And when you hitch your coach to him, you rise with El Elyon. Amen? Pastor Robin. Oh, glory. Adonai. Wow. It's offering time. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I want to look at a scripture here in, uh, in Genesis. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. I just want to remind you that because we're here, because we're warm, because we can get cool, because of the seasons, there's a harvest and there's a seed time. Amen? There's a seed time and there's a harvest. And it's happening all the time. All the time. And so, um, the, I want to explain to you this way. The seed is an act of love. When you give, giving is an act of love. Okay? And so the, the next part of that is, is that when you add faith to that, uh, when you add faith to it, faith, uh, faith worketh by love, and so what you end up with is a good seed because you've got the ingredients you need for it to work and to produce a good harvest. A good seed produces a good harvest. So I just want to give you a bit of a, a, an image as to, as to how, this sort of, how this works. In the springtime, if you look at the fields, you don't see anything, but the seed is in the ground, okay, in the springtime. Now, come now. If you look at the fields now, what do you see? Right. So you need to take that sort of image and apply it to the seed you've sown and the harvest you're going to receive. Amen? And if the field's empty, it's like there's nothing there. There's no harvest. But when it's full, when the, the corn is up, the soy is up, uh, all the other different crops are up, you see 
you've got a tangible image of what harvest is. And so as you sow today, consider the good seed you're sowing, because you're sowing out of love, and you're using your faith, amen, you're mixing with faith, and so you'll have a harvest like the farmers are having right now. I love this time of the year. I love the fall, the harvest time, and that's why we do Thanksgiving is because it's harvest time, right? So we're just thankful to God today. It's our thanksgiving to God. Thank you for the harvest you have given in our lives. Just look back, even pass back and through the year and see what God has given to you, what you have. Amen? Amen. And we're thankful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you do need prayer, Pastor Wendy and I will be up at the front here. Come on up. We will uh, we'd love to pray with you, I believe with you, agree with you. Amen? Amen.